I'm in a series right now, and the teaching this, that I'm doing this year is directed toward this theme, Elevate Your Life. And we're using Ephesians chapter number 2, verse number 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And again, a lot of this we still are walking out, right? But in the minds of God, we're raised up with Christ and are already seated in the heavenly places, heavenly realms. You may not necessarily feel like it, but this is where we are in God's eyes. And we pointed out to you that it is God's intention to elevate every single one of us. You don't partner with God without experiencing elevation. You don't. Everybody God's ever hooked up with, their life gets lifted and elevated in every conceivable and possible way. Whether they want it to happen or not, because that's just who he is. Amen. You never heard of anybody getting connected to God that six months later, a year later, six years later, said, gee, you know, I sure am worse off now than whenever I got saved. That's just not the way that it works. And we do understand, and I'm going to be teaching something today, not for the intention of drawing uh, not for the purpose, rather, or the intention of drawing attention to the enemy. I don't like to do that. Sometimes that's all he wants to do is get us to notice him. But for the purpose of making clear in our minds some under, uh, an understanding of, the, of what we're actually dealing with, I'm going to address some issues today that I think are critical. And I'll begin by saying it like this, that that though God intends to elevate you, there is someone who doesn't want that to happen, who seeks to, in every possible way, to make sure, if he can, that he will stymie God's efforts at elevating your life and abort your destiny. If at all possible, that's what his ultimate intention is. But you have the authority as a believer to negate every assignment that the enemy has spoken against you, you also have the ability as a believer, whatever the enemy's plans are, to cancel those and say, that will not happen in my life and what God has spoken over me and my family are going to come to pass. We have authority over the enemy. And in Luke 9 verse 1, Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Now, herein lies the problem. I believe there are different levels of authority. And we've been teaching on this, the 12 dimensions of spiritual authority. I think that this is an accurate understanding of where we are in terms of, of spiritual authority in the church because even in our own individual lives, we see different measures of authority. These are directly related to maturity and any number of other things, spiritual maturity and other things. Revelation is an important component of that as well. That is, just because we have been given authority doesn't mean we're yet mature enough to exercise it. And I want you to notice clearly that he said he gave them power and authority, two different things. In the church, we tend to believe they are the same. Now, if you are intended to be elevated, but there's an enemy trying to pull you down and make sure that doesn't happen and that your life does not reach the level of success that God intends to see demonstrated in your life, who casts the deciding vote here? You do. And so I want to empower you today 
And I want to talk about some of the strategies the enemy uses and where he works. And we're going to go to a passage of scripture in Mark chapter number 5, beginning in verse number 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. This is a wild man. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now this I want you to particularly notice. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. Next verse. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. One moment we see this man with the, the tatters, uh, remnants of chains, ropes possibly on his ankles and on his wrist, struggling against the force of a spirit that has controlled him to get to Jesus. And at effort, or with effort, and with, with, with possibly a great war going on on the inside of him that's trying to keep him from doing this, he manages to fall at Jesus' feet and begins to cry out in worship. And then from inside of this man, this voice begins to say, leave us alone. I want you to see this. A man that has gone from a distance, he saw Jesus from afar, ran to worship him. And instead of words of praise coming out of his mouth, he's now saying to Jesus, go away. Why? Because Jesus had said to him, come out of the man unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. Now see, this is a region we're talking about. And the demons didn't want to leave this region. That's significant, and I'll point out why in just a few minutes. And the demons begged him, saying to him, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the, the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, this being the area the demonic spirits did not want to leave remember we'll leave the man but don't chase us from this region and the people from the city and the country went out to see what it was that had happened then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion I love this sitting and clothed and in his right mind notice the response they were afraid and those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they rejoiced over the man's deliverance. No. That's not what happened. 
they begin to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. Father, I want you to speak a word to us today that will help us to understand the nature of the struggles that we face and the warfare in which we are engaged. Open our, our minds, our hearts, give us an understanding that we might be able to effectively be your servants, the body of Christ in the earth, efficiently and effectively, that we might be able to bring deliverance and hope and help to people and even in our own lives see the fullness of everything you've ever intended to happen to us and in us and through us be made manifest. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I want to speak today from the subject authority, authority over demonic systems. As I've pointed out, the church doesn't have a power problem. Jesus can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think according to the power that is already working within us. Ours is an authority problem or issue. To fully master something, you have to understand it. You cannot just by rote learn a few simple steps and formulas and expect to truly master a particular subject. For example, to become a master electrician, you must understand electricity. To become a master plumber, you've got to know what a T is or how to, as it were, solder copper tubing together. To become a master IT expert, you're going to have to know how computers work and how to do programming. In similar fashion, for us to be able to understand spiritual authority will go a long way toward helping us to be able to effectively operate in spiritual authority. Whenever God gave Adam dominion over the earth and all that was in it, before Adam could exercise dominion effectively, God first brought the various creatures he had made to Adam to see, quote, what he would call them. Genesis 2 and 19, it says this, Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. We get the idea that God was just checking Adam's wiring, see if he had programmed Adam correctly. There was a little bit more to it maybe than that. The Hebrew word that is translated to call something also means to endow that something. Adam didn't just call their names correctly. He understood them well enough to endow them or to speak purpose into their lives. God had given him such an understanding of his creation that whenever God paraded the animals that had been created before Adam, Adam said, this one is this and this is what you will do. Not just echoing the name that God had assigned it. But Adam understood its purpose. You don't really master or have authority over something until you can understand how that something works. Amen. Somebody in the building just say amen. amen. And God and his church function in the same capacity. We are, we are here to speak the right things into society. We're here to name society, as it were, to call those things into existence that are supposed to be present. We serve in this way in a role that is almost creative in the sense that we don't just wait and see what happens. We're supposed to speak the right things into the world around us and call those things out and into existence. Amen. 
Only then can you have dominion. On the other hand, the enemy does exactly the opposite. He seeks to control and to subvert a person's destiny or a nation's destiny by speaking the wrong things over that individual or that nation or that company or that family structure, whatever it is. And the reason for that is simple. Whatever names you controls you. When once you have been named by something and they've got your number, they know how you tick and they know what makes you work. They, they, they control you to a certain degree, which is why so many of us still, tr- still struggle with, with epithets and, and, and names that were placed on us when we were younger. You'll never amount to anything. You're this, you're that, you're stupid, you're what. And so many of those things become limiting and prophetic because once you're named, that begins to control you. That's another reason Jesus said you can be angry at somebody and you'll be in danger of the council. But if you ever call anybody a fool, now you've just stepped into the wrong role here. You've taken my place because I speak destiny into lives that elevates people and you've just limited somebody I had a purpose for. And for that reason, you're in danger of hell's fire now. Once you name it, you begin to control it. And so when we look at this whole thing of spiritual authority, it's important for us to understand this, this, this subject because if we don't, it's very difficult for us to be able to administer it effectively. I've talked to you about the first four levels already, authority over self, authority within a family structure, authority over secular systems, and then the last couple of weeks, authority within a ministry structure today. Are you ready for this? I want to th- talk to you about authority over demonic systems. Amen. That's something you don't hear a whole lot talked about in churches anymore. But let me just simply say that in an effort to oppose the values and the government of the kingdom of God, the enemy has set up systems of his own that do not promote the same things that God promotes. He promotes and perpetuates his purposes, not God's. And his purposes are always associated with and connected with death and destruction. They're always connected in some way to minimizing who you can be who you are, are meant to, to, to be in life. They always diminish you in some regard, some way. Demonic systems always res, result in loss and suffering. They speak the wrong things into society and into our lives that, in ter- and, and that instead of bringing peace and joy, as it were, they bring hurt and ruin. And rather than elevation, they, they cause demotion. Speaking of demonic systems and the problems they cause in life, I mean, if you listen to this stuff long enough, I mean, the enemy so completely takes over your life that you become, as it were, a caricature, just a, 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 a little representative of, of what you were actually meant by God to be the full measure of if his will had been accomplished and his word it had way in, in your life. And you become like the guy, this is a joke, okay, just a joke. A guy in the neighborhood that was so bad and so terrible, they used to say, That's, he's like the devil's stepbrother. If the devil ever dies, you know, I mean, don't worry. We've got a good substitute. To, he'll move right in, and, and the kingdom of darkness will never miss a beat. This guy had to have surgery, and he had surgery, and when he woke up, all the blinds and the shutters in his hospital room were pulled, right? And so he wakes up, and he asks the nurse, he said, well, you have all the blinds pulled and, 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 the, and, and, and the draperies drawn. And, and the nurse says, well, we've heard a little bit about you. 
and there's a big fire across the street. And we didn't want the first thing you saw upon awakening from surgery to be all these flames. Because you might think the surgery had not been a success. You can go through life until after a while that is a description of who you are. That's how your life seems to function. What is a demonic system? For us to be able to effectively have authority over them, we must even understand what they are. And I, I, we tend in the church to think of demonic systems in rather childlike terms. The devil is portrayed as this fellow dressed in a red flannel suit with a long pointed tail and two horns and walking around with a pitchfork, right? Amen. And uh, that's not really who he is at all. Not at all. In the old days of the church, we used to think of casting out demons as somebody writhing on the floor and this tug of war that exists going on, you know, somebody saying, come out in Jesus' name and the enemy resisting. I said, you got to come. And you get this whole thing going back and forth, this dynamic that I don't think really represents what we're supposed to uh, be doing in the kingdom of God. They're supposed to be listening to us. We're supposed to be... We're supposed to have authority over the enemy. Amen. Amen. And uh, whenever you talk about demonic systems, it's not just some guy writhing on the floor. Demonic systems can exist throughout society to such a degree that society is uncomfortable without them being present. Stay with me now. Within this man was this legion of demonic spirits so many that they had to be called legion. And this man literally became, as it were, the place where the governmental spirits ruling and controlling that area for the kingdom of darkness had taken up residence. This man was so uncomfortable among the living that he slept among the dead. He cut himself with stones. This man was naked, unclothed, his hair unkept. He was wild and ferocious looking and people didn't want to venture near there. And, and as I said, he was so miserable that he associated more with people in cemeteries than he did with those who were living. They didn't want to get anywhere near this guy. People in society didn't. But yet, when the demonic spirit was about to be cast out, this is what they requested. Don't make us leave this geographic area. This is our home. This is where we function and operate. This is where we have rule or dominion. And on the other hand, when once they were cast out, it created such an upset in the equilibrium of that region that the elders of the city said to Jesus, would you please go away? We would rather have this man struggling and this man in bondage as long as the systems that are functioning, stay with me please, are not upset because this defines normalcy for us. This is our definition for what is normal. I mean, as long as you don't upset the apple cart, we don't mind a few people being victimized like this fellow is, but this is, is how we have learned to get along in life. And, and the structure here is fine the way it was before you came and started messing with things. This tells me that demonic systems are more than just some guy writhing on the ground like a snake because he came into the presence of God. No, I believe that religious systems can be demonic in nature, and Jesus indicated that. John 8 and 44 
This is what he told the leaders of his day. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. Jesus dared to decry religious systems and call them demonic in nature. Whoa, that wouldn't go over well in a lot of churches on a Sunday morning now, would it? Come on, help me out. And for you to understand, I'm not knocking the church. What God has always been interested in is relationship, not religious structures. Amen. Clearly, in addition to religious systems that can be demonic in nature, that is, that are empowered by the wrong source that got hijacked along the way, I don't think there's anyone here that would argue that drug cartels are not demonic in nature, Los Zetas, uh, all of the bloodshed down at the border that is going on, that has gone on over the last several years, what, 60,000, 80,000 people now have lost their lives in just the last few years, clearly that's demonic in nature. Human trafficking operations are demonic in nature. Child pornography rings are without question demonic in nature. We can recognize that. But did you know that governmental systems themselves can become demonic? Would anyone in this building disagree that Hitler's governmental system was demonic? Come on, help me out now. What about the Cambodian government of the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot and his henchmen? Obviously demonic in nature as they killed so many of those, 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 those calm and, and, and well-known gentle people of Cambodia known for their gentleness. Legal systems can actually become a part of demonic structures when they fail to stand for both justice and mercy, but rather embrace and promote activities that are ungodly. For example, justice is a necessary component of good government. But when justice and the legal systems of the world begin to promote things like abortion, all of a sudden it's stepped across the line into something else that is no longer godly. We look at somebody with, that, that maybe is schizophrenic and is struggling with the demonic spirit as being the representation of what demonic systems are about. Oh, no, no, no. That's low-level stuff. I'm talking about stuff that replaces governments and structures and, and is in place over nations. Economic systems and financial systems that exploit, that enslave people in poverty while benefiting a fortunate few are a part of demonic systems. Come on now. I'm preaching better than some of you are responding. Amen. Even multinational corporations can fit this description when they be, go into third world or developing nations and by, because of greed exploit people in these countries, pillage their resources, pollute their environment, and give no regard to the health or well-being of the people they're trampling. Amen. Everything about God lifts people up. The enemy in one way or another is going to put people down. And usually systems that are demonic benefit a fortunate few that are at the head or the top of the hill. But before that is over with, even they come to know unspeakable suffering because those systems inevitably are going to be judged by God. When I'm talking about demonic systems here, I'm not just talking about somebody struggling with a porno addiction. I'm talking about the system behind it. 
Amen. They can also exist in the local area. Tell me that in this fractured world of ours where the nuclear family has been split and divided after being attacked so unrelentingly by the enemy, tell me that when our kids fall into gangs, that's not a demonic system. Amen. MS-13 and all of the rest of those, you know as well as I do, these substitutes for the family that promote evil are not just something that happened to be. There is an enemy behind the development of all of this. The church is not just called to bring healing to the man that's in the tombs. We are called to deliver the society that the man is a part of. Amen. Educational systems can become a part of a demonic structure when they teach children that we entrust into their care. Our kids, that we're teaching godly values and biblical principles, when we give them to educational systems that belittle the values that we're trying to place in them and return our children back to us laughing at the idea that there is even a God in the first place, that system that was meant to develop their mind has just crossed the line. Amen. When they disrespect the parents who are trying to teach children principles where they can succeed in life and honor God and serve God and their fellow man and teach them to disregard those, uh uh-uh, it's crossed over into another sphere that is no longer the system that we originally supported. It has become demonic in nature. Now watch this. Authority over demonic spirits is about having the authority to address the force behind all of that. You got to hear what I'm saying. That doesn't mean that you go get a placard and march in front of a school or you get one and you march on Wall Street because the financial system has gone bankrupt. This is what I'm trying to communicate. The church has to be a little farther seen than that. We've got to understand behind those things, there's something else pulling the strings. There's something else manipulating the system. We've got to be discerning enough to be able to address the problem behind the problem. Amen. The Bible speaks of a hierarchical and governmental system in the kingdom of darkness that is similar in many respects to that of the kingdom of God. We think the kingdom of darkness is is nothing but chaos and and nothing but disruption and and nothing but, but insanity. But when you look beyond all of that, you will see a highly orchestrated, carefully structured and highly efficient system. The kingdom of darkness produces destruction, but it itself is very efficiently organized and run. The reason for the similarity that its organizational structure bears to that of the kingdom of God is the fellow that's at the head of it all here used to head up God's governmental structure in heaven. He was the anointed cherub that covereth until he began to say, I will exalt my throne above that of God. And the seven I wheels that you find in the book of Isaiah where the perpendicular pronoun I, 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 I became the source of his concern and what his world centered around, that, 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 those, those things are what ultimately led him to try and overthrow God's government in a failed coup d'etat. God might let things go on a long time, but trust me, on on your best day, 
Nobody can stand before God. Amen. And God is loving and kind and oh, forgiving and full of grace. But when the devil stood up in rebellion, I'm telling you, you can't get up early enough in the morning to outsmart God. You just can't do it. Amen. God may let things rock on for a long time, but when he stands up, this is what the psalmist said. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. All God's got to do is stand up and everything anybody had tried to put together against him begins to fall to pieces. Rebellion cannot continue or be sustained. Satan was cast out of heaven, summarily dismissed. I mean, his best efforts didn't even raise us a drop of sweat on God's brow. He's thrown out of heaven, and with him one-third of the angels of heaven fall. And together these become the displaced demonic spirits with which we wrestle in the kingdom of life today. Amen. Satan, in this world, we are a fallen race that is ruled by a fallen Lord. Amen. Amen. And this fallen world in which we live is supposed to be taken over by God and his church. We're the kingdom of God come to replace a failed system. Oh, I wish I could hear somebody in the building say amen right now. Amen. The governmental structure of of the kingdom of darkness consists of at least four different levels. I personally believe the scripture mentions at least five and maybe more than that. Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, number one, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, lest you think that that the author is just being descriptive in a way that is redundant, you need to understand that each one of these words, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual host of wickedness, all of these actually are different Greek words that represent different hierarchical positions in the kingdom of darkness. Just as Satan saw existed in heaven. There was God. There were the archangels that were over the legions of angels of heaven right on down to the lower echelon angels of heaven. And when we read in the book of Romans, the word that is translated principalities is actually the Greek word for local magistrate. It means a local ruler. Where I'm from in Louisiana, we would call that a police juryman. Here in Texas, this is our council member. Amen. But as you know, there's somebody over the council. The word powers is the Greek word that means a regional leader. And whereas you have councilmen, over them you have a mayor. Hello, somebody? And so these guys do not operate on their own. They answer to someone. Then you have rulers where it talks about about these rulers of the darkness of this age. This is even a different Greek word. And it means a world-known king, a world-renowned king. And that is to say you now have moved from a local magistrate to the leader of the magistrates to now maybe the king of a, a state or the king of a nation as it were, but even that is not the end of the structure in its totality because then it speaks of spiritual wickedness in high places. And that could very easily be a reference to the bad boy himself, if not even the bad boy and his upper levels of his upper echelon of, of leadership. 
And then, of course, while you have all of these different levels of leadership, let's not forget that somewhere out there, there aren't just chiefs. There must be some Indians also. And so what that means is you have these minions of, 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 and these, these lower-level demonic spirits that answer to these guys. And so while not explicit, but at least implicit in this text, you find at least five levels. You've got the average run-of-the-mill demonic spirit. You've got the local ruler. You've got the regional ruler, ruler. Then you've got the ruler of a state or a nation. And finally, you have the worldwide ruler himself. Amen. What does this mean? What this means is we've spent too much time focusing on the little guy when we ought to be moving against the big guy. Amen. Jesus did address the problem of demonic spirits, and you need to understand this. In Mark 1, verse 27 and 28, then they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? Notice what new doctrine is this that people are asking? For with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately, his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. The body of Christ in the earth 2,000 years ago set in motion for us what the body of Christ 2,000 years later is supposed to be doing. He demonstrated by his life and his example what we are to do when confronted with these systems. Jesus cast them out. And this was such a novel and new idea in church that people said, hmm, this is a new doctrine. Had never seen this done before. That shows how unaccustomed the church was in that day to addressing the problem behind the problem. Amen. This passage also points out the obvious too, doesn't it? That if that was the body of Christ then, and we're the body of Christ now, we ought to be doing what he did then. Mark 16 and 17, he tells us this, and these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Now, does that mean you go around looking for a devil under every bush? No. Some of you are looking under your, your chair right now. No, that's not what that's talking about. I'm not drawing attention to him. What I'm trying to show you is his plans for your life were never meant to be implemented. You have the authority to stop it. Amen. And rather than us concentrating on the guy writhing on the floor, we need to be speaking to financial systems and political systems and educational systems and say, Satan, get your hand off of these things. We're the children of God. We are salt. We are light. We are yeast in the earth today. We're here to, to bring about profound change. Amen. And obviously, again, the scripture points out yet another truth. If you have authority, they listen. What happened when Jesus spoke to the spirits? They left. Amen. Here's this guy that is living in tombs, can't sleep at night, hair's shaggy and long, and his body is caked with filth. This man is probably racked with disease, running sores, infected all over his body where he's cut himself and and there, the, 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 the remnants of shackles on his hands and maybe ropes that have been tied and around him. And he sees Jesus and the guy's unkept and naked. 
and he sees Jesus and he knows within, this is my only hope. And he runs and everything in the spirit is, is, is crying out against that, saying, don't, 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 don't get near this man. But the man wants deliverance and, and you can see him as he's struggling to get to where Jesus is and finally throws himself down to worship him. But when he opens his mouth, these are the words that come out, leave us alone. This demonic spirit is crying out the exact opposite of what this man's heart is wanting. The spirits don't want to be displaced. Amen. And if you think the enemy leaves without a struggle, you are mistaken. Hello, somebody. As I've said, he can so interweave his way into society that an economic system can't work without him. Banking industry can't work. Educational systems, legal systems, political systems, entertainment systems. Boy, if there ever was a place somebody needed to cast some spirits out, it's in the entertainment industry. Am I talking to anybody that can feel me right now? You know what I'm talking about. Amen. When you don't have authority over the enemy, he causes terrible things to happen. And then last, his hideous laugh, because no one can do anything about it. I don't think we really need to point out that the problems that exist in our society are to a large degree caused by him. Do I really need to tell you that the woes of divorce and murder and rape and incest and terrorism and deception and false religion and HIV and cancer and financial reversals and jealousy and pride and arrogance and greed and war do I really need to tell you that these are problems that he has caused to happen in society? Do I need to remind you that, that governments are still in existence in the world that thrive on the very thing that I've just mentioned? Over four and a half million dead in Northeast Congo in war. How many have died in the Sudan under the leadership of Bashir? How many in Somalia? Entire nations have collapsed and fallen apart and the church is only concerned about whether I get blessed today or not. You hear what I'm saying? We were caused to come into the earth that we could implement the kingdom. He said we should pray every day, thy kingdom come. Replace all of this with your kingdom, Lord. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. There are even problems that I believe we as the church have not discerned as being caused by the enemy that we think have other origins, other reasons behind them. Sickness, for example, can be organic, but it can also have spiritual roots. If you don't believe that, read Luke 13, verses 11 through 12. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit. King James says, a spirit of infirmity. For 18 years, she was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. This spirit mimicked and replicated all the, uh, the symptoms of a physical and organic illness. 
Let me just tell you something. And I want us to understand this. When you begin to become aware of the fact that there is a spirit dimension that is as real as the physical dimension in which you live, it's not just whether your sickness was caused or your financial reversal was caused because of some mistake you made or a bacteria you became exposed to. You hear what I'm talking about? Could it be there's an enemy that's trying to wreck your life? Now, here's why I'm saying that. Because you can go to a counselor if you've got marriage problems and be counseled until he is blue in the face. But if the enemy has an assignment against your marriage, you can read his needs, her needs by Harley. You can read men are from Mars and women are from Venus by Dr. John Gray and Barbara D'Angelo. You can go to seminar after seminar and retreat after retreat. And when you're away from her, you can't wait to see her again. But the moment you get home, there's something on the inside that is beginning to irritate you about her. You've got to understand that, that oftentimes... What is happening is the enemy has placed an assignment against your marriage. Now, I'm not condoning or excusing away or making excuses for bad decisions, financial choices that were unwise. Flip Wilson, from many years ago, the devil made me do it. Do you remember? Amen. Preacher says, why'd you get that, that new dress to his wife? We can't afford it. Devil made me do it. He said, that won't work. He said, you know better than I. I said, I'm telling you, the devil made me do it. I went in and tried it on. The devil said, it looks real good. She said, I can't afford it. He said, turn around. I did. The devil said, it looks good from behind too. And next thing you know, I bought it even though I, look, you can't blame your bad choices on the enemy. You can't. But at the same time, Know that you can attend codependency and enablement classes until you know all of the vernacular and you've got the terms down right. You can go to every seminar that comes to town. But what the church has to learn to do is stand up and say, Satan, you're not having our society. You're not going to destroy my marriage. I'm going to use my authority as a believer. To say right now, no weapon formed against me can prosper. To say that God is a wall of fire round about me. To say that no matter how bad you make my life be, I'm a child of God and I'm blessed when I get up and I'm blessed when I sit down. Hallelujah. You have to build and structure your life around the teachings of the word of God. Could somebody in the building just give the Lord an applause right now? Mm. Is there anybody here that believes drugs exist just because there are drugs? No. There's somebody making a profit on that. There's somebody living on Fifth Avenue in a penthouse, driving a Mercedes extended limousine that makes money whether you get bankrupt or not. You need to address the problems behind the problem, and that's what the church has been commissioned by God to do. Amen. Amen. So, as long as we naively just look beyond these ills in society to only address its victims and blame them 
for what is going on, which is what we've done. I God doesn't want God. He wanted God. He'd really get rid of those drugs and he'd leave the alcohol. Maybe he can't because he's in bondage right now. Maybe he's like the man that ran to Jesus and wanted to worship. But when he fell down, he was saying, leave me alone instead. Maybe your next door neighbor wants to find God, just he can't break free to make his mind up to come right now. And maybe if you and I pray and touch God at another level in intercession, that we can help see breakthroughs in society. Hallelujah. I'm done. At least for today, I can't wait to get back next week and finish this because I wanna, I've got some stuff to talk to you about. All I've done today is just lay the foundation, okay? But what I've come to tell you you, is you are powerful. You are strong beyond imagination. You have the power of a resurrected Christ living on the inside of you. The enemy trembles when you walk in a room. Yes, he does. When you drive through your neighborhood, the devil knows that you're around. Stand with me across the building. It's God's wish to elevate you. The enemy's wish is to pull you down. And the things I've talked about today are how he goes about it. And the things around which he evolves a a strategy to achieve those purposes. You have the very real and legitimate right to say it stops right here today. Satan, we're claiming my family back. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be mad at him because he doesn't want to come to church. I'm coming after you now. Amen. I'm praying till you let go of him where he can be found sitting and clothed and in his right mind where he can make his own mind up about what he's going to do. And it won't be drugs talking or alcohol talking or financial pressure talking anymore. I'm claiming my family back. Amen. Next week I want to tell you how how to get and, and, and to have restored everything the enemy stole. Because if you catch a thief in the process of stealing, he's got to pay you back seven times. Seven times. I need somebody in this building to just lift their hands and say, I'm taking it back. Would you do that? I'm not only taking it back, I'm taking it back with interest. Seven times. That's what he's got to restore seven times. I want to conclude this service today in prayer. I want us to finish at the altar. Would you please come and join me right now? Everybody, I want to pray for you as a father would pray for his family. I want to pray for you as as a father would for his children right now. And pray that whatever losses you have suffered in your life, that God will replace those. Whatever pain you've gone through, that God will heal that. Whatever the enemy has stolen, that he'll have to bring it back to you and lay it at your feet again. If you're here today and you don't know God, this would be the perfect time for you to also come and say, let me not be a victim any longer. 
Let me not be the one from whom the thief steals any more than he already has stolen. Well, why don't you come and give your heart to God too? I mean, stop and think about it for a moment. Stop and think about it for a moment. Would anyone in their lucid, clear-thinking mind turn down eternal life? Would anyone who is headed toward eternity without God walk away from God when He offers to save them freely and He's already paid the price for their redemption? If there's anything that is trying to whisper in your ear to say no, you don't want to do this. I can tell you right now that's not the right voice that's speaking to you. And you need to come and say, Lord, I'm not listening to that voice any longer. But today, I want to bow my knee. I want to surrender my heart and submit my life to you. Jesus, you shed your blood that I could be free, that I could be redeemed. And today, I want to give you my life and accept your free gift of salvation. That's the prayer. need to pray if you've never prayed that prayer before. If you're here today and you've known God and walked with God but somehow or another your fervor for God has grown cold and the enemy has deceived you and pulled you away to a place where you're not strong in Christ anymore, why don't you just say right now, not listening to those voices, I'm listening to God from here on out. I'm renewing my commitment to God. With your head bowed with me right now, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for these people that mean so much to me. These people that are in this room are closer to me than my own physical earthly family that I was raised in as a child. These are the people I've come to know and love through the years that we've shared victories and and defeats together with. And and we've been through battles and, and through wounds and through hurts and we've been through victories and joys and we've celebrated accomplishments together. And there's nothing that I would rather have happen for those that matter this much to me than to see them enjoy elevation in every part of their life. I want their businesses to be elevated. I want their families to be elevated. I want their children to be the most blessed kids in school. Let their marriages be the strongest in the neighborhood. Let them be strong physically and be blessed with good health. And today as the body of Christ, Lord, we rise up against all of those structures that work against these things that I've just prayed for. Whether it's legal, whether it's political, whether it's judicial, whether it's educational, whatever the system may be, whether it's a societal structure that somehow has been hijacked by the enemy, Help us as your people to take it back. Take it back. Take it back. Take it back. We pledge ourselves again to the pursuit of God. We pledge ourselves again to a study of your word, to the pursuit of your righteousness and holiness. We pledge ourselves again 
to be committed to our families and strong. We honor you.